Friday night. I don't know when, when they get back from that. But uh, just excited what happens there. <clears throat> I've mentioned this before. I, I, kids camp, youth camp is so important. I mean, it's very important to us around here. It's a, it's a priority to us around here. Um, uh, Josh and Liz and then also the children's department, but they, Christian with the children's department, they, they use a lot of their own money to make sure these kids get to these camps. Um, I went to two camps when I was a kid. I went to a kid's camp and I went to a youth camp. I got filled with the Holy Spirit and called to ministry at the kid's camp, and I met Linda at the youth camp. Pretty good return on my, pretty good return on my investment there. Um, so, so we do, and, and so parents with, with kids, we, the kids' camp is coming up. Um, I know Krista's getting the information out and doing all this stuff, but guys, let's really consider sending your kids to kids' camp. You think, well, they're just kids. It's not going to matter. And, and it's definitely not a babysitting week. This is a high ministry week. Um, these kids, and, and I'll tell you, when I was a youth pastor years ago, um, I would preach and teach and preach and teach, and, and, um, and the kids are praying, all this kind of stuff. And then they go to camp, and they all get saved, and they all get filled with the Holy Spirit. They'll get called into ministry, and they come up to me like, you should be preaching this stuff to us. That's all I've been preaching to you guys. But there's something about uh, at camp. They get away from uh, their, their family. They get away from their, their um, computer games, and they get away from mom and dad. And, uh, and they're just isolated, and they really get to see God do some things. And so, so always consider that, um, process that a little bit. I, I did want to introduce you to somebody. <clears throat> um, John, if you don't mind standing. I'm sorry, Joe Voigt. He is um, the uh, running for state representative for District 14. And you say, well, what is District 14? You're sitting in District 14. Uh, this is where that is. And so take the opportunity to get to know him, introduce yourself to him. As, uh, as I've mentioned before, um, this is not an endorsement. I don't endorse anybody from the pulpit. But, but Joe's a really good guy. So you should, you should get to know him a little bit. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Um, you should get to know him a little bit. Uh, there, is, there has been a huge changeover. I know I've mentioned some of this stuff, but there's been a huge changeover um, in, in uh, El Paso County in the Republican Party. And we're, start, we're seeing a, a bunch of conservatives rise to the surface that are different than just uh, the normal Republican establishment. Uh, we've seen a, a, a lot of this stuff that's, that's uh, been in transition. And, you, and that, is, that was a, a big motivator for me to run also was that we've seen this. We're, we're, we're just kind of tired of the you say the line, but you don't believe it, and you don't back it up when you get to Denver. And, and then we have all kinds of abortion bills, and we have all kinds of stuff that um, the Republicans won't stand for. And so this is, a, this is an important time. I have never seen this this strong, where we're going to see a major conservative overturn within the Republican Party this year, and definitely a, um, a, a few seats from the Democrats, which will keep scratching away. And quite honestly, you know, I've, I've said this over and over, my big issue is the abortion issue. We're going to keep scratching away and keep scratching away until we can, until we can win that fight, okay? We're going to win that fight. We're already seeing it with the Supreme Court, but we don't know what the language of the Supreme Court yet is, so we're still waiting to see how that is going to affect this abortion bill we just passed in Colorado. And uh, so pray about these things. These are, I, I, still, I still get stuff all the time. Andy Stanley just came out with a book about how churches and ministers are not supposed to be involved in the political arena. Let me tell you right up front, he's wrong. He's 100% wrong. This is why we're, we, we are where we are. 
Guys, pray, vote. Get to know the candidates. Vote. Do this stuff. Okay, that's not what I was going to talk about this morning. So, uh, this is Pentecost Sunday. I want to, I want to talk about um, the Holy Spirit, but I really want to approach this from a very different angle than I normally do. I'm going to, I'm going to show, you, show you something. I think. I'm going to take you through some theological stuff, but it's not just stuff. If you'll, if you'll really pay attention and listen to what I'm saying, you'll understand why I'm going through all of this, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about Calvinism this morning. I never, I never just, like, uh, compare um, theological things, except every now and then a, a specific issue during a message or something. But I want to go through Calvinism this morning quickly, and I want to explain to you, and, and let me lo- let you know right up front, I disagree with every single thing of Calvinism. I believe the exact opposite of everything in Calvinism. I'll explain that to you. But I'm going to show you a mindset that has affected the church and a mindset that can even affect all of us in here at different places, different layers and levels. Um, for, and then what it does is it, it puts us on a trajectory. You, you hear me say this regularly, guys. This is extremely important. You will serve God, or let me say it differently. You will serve, uh, well, you will serve God the way you understand him. You don't, you don't know all of God. You're never going to know all of God. When we get to eternity, we're not going to know all of God. We're going to spend all of eternity getting to know more and more and more about God. He's too big for ever, ever to wrap our minds around completely. But you have an understanding of him right now. You have an understanding of Jesus. You understand the Bible. And though that understanding determines how you do things, how you live your life, how you pray, how you serve God, um, it, it, how you serve people or not. All of these things are, are according to how you understand God. Okay? So I want to show you a trail that has been very strong and very um, throughout a long, a long time in evangelicalism. And honestly, it is completely wrong. It was important. Let me, let me be fair to John Calvin because he's a good man. He was a good man of God. And at his time, it was very important that he introduced these things because he was pulling the church out of this was, this was the, uh, a fresh new thing we call Protestantism today. And he was pulling them out of the, the Catholic thinking where the Catholic church decided everything. And it was, and it was um, salvation by works. Not even really salvation, but some kind of godliness through works. And, and the priests were in charge and all this other kind of stuff. And John Calvin came up with this, this um, way of teaching and, and showing Scripture that grace was the key, that it's grace, that that's, you don't get saved by works, you don't get saved by a, a priest telling you you're saved or by some kind of um, um, Hail Marys or whatever, that, that's not what they're called. Yeah, Hail Marys, so like that, you get saved by grace, okay? So Calvin was very important and instrumental at the time to kind of break some of these walls and bring us forward, but he left something out, and I'll explain that, because what he left out is the key to everything, and I'll explain that as we get a little farther into this. So Calvinism. Um, John Calvin came up with this five points, and uh, you can understand these points by using the word tulip, T-U-L-I-P. Okay? These are the five pillars, the five forms of Calvinism. Now, this is something that I've... So when I went to Denver Seminary 20 years ago, I got my master's there. Most of Denver Seminary was Calvinism at that time. And so everything, all the professors, everything, and I argued this out with them regularly because I don't agree with it. And, and also to make me really popular with the professors. And, and so um, the, uh, some of them were, were more um, Arminianist or Wesleyan, which I'll explain. But it was Calvinism. And so I got this over and over and over, right? And then I would hear people say, well, I'm a four-point Calvinist or a three-point Calvinist or something like that. But guys, that doesn't work that way. And you'll see how all of this is woven together. If you take one of these pillars out, Calvinism comes, 
crashing down. It has to all work together. That's why when somebody says, I'm a four-point Calvinist, I always say to them, that means you're not a Calvinist, so why don't we talk about truth? All right? Let's get there quickly, okay? So here it is. The first one, total depravity. We're sinners enslaved by sin. Now you say, well, you don't believe that? I do believe that. But Calvinism says that never ends. Even if you get saved, you're still enslaved by sin. Grace just fixes it. But you're still enslaved. I believe that you, when you get saved, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That you actually can be set free from sin. I don't think that means you become perfect, but it does mean that you don't have to be enslaved to this. Okay? And by the way, I'm not going to go over all the scriptures that disagree with all this stuff. You can look that up yourself. I'm getting to somewhere else this morning. Okay, the next one is unconditional election. This is important because this, this sets the tone for everything. God decides before creation who will be saved. God decides whether you're going to be saved before the earth even existed. Now, we know scriptures that say that God knew you before the foundations of the earth, but the fact that he chooses some people to be saved and some people don't, that he doesn't, guys, that's, that's, that doesn't even make sense. Why would he send Jesus to die on a cross for some? Right? I believe that, that God decided, well, in fact, this, Calvinism is, is greatly determined by predestination too. We'll get to that in a second, but but Paul uses the word predestination. It's one time used in Scripture. And Paul says that, you're, that everybody is predestined to know God. That, that you, God wants you to know him. Okay, the third one. Limited atonement. That uh, only the elects, and remember the one above it says, before the creation of the world, God shows who's going to be saved. That's called the elect. That's who they are, is the elect. And, he said, and, and limited atonement says the, only the elect sins were atoned by Jesus' death. In other words, Jesus only died for some people. They were chosen by God, and he died for them. Now, this is interesting because I've gone round and around with, with Cal, Calvinist um, professors and pastors and stuff like that. And, you know, it's interesting. I've never met um, anybody that believes strongly in limited atonement that don't believe they were part of the crew. You understand what I'm saying? I asked a professor this one time. I said, Do you, are you saved? He said, yes. Said you're a Christian, yes. Um, how do you know? Maybe Jesus didn't die for you. Well, if I can accept him, that means I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you accepted him? Jesus maybe didn't. Really, the only thing he did was make him mad. He didn't. He didn't come to a conclusion later. Like you know what, you're right. But I did have a professor. I did have a professor that um, he was. I was so I was in my mid 30s at this time, and um, three four years ago, and so. He was already in his late 60s. He was a retired missionary, and he was one of the professors at Denver Seminary. He and I became very good friends. And uh, after, at the end of my four years there, he, he stood up in my last class, last week of, of school. I'm going to graduate the next week. And he said, I just want to say this. He said, I've never said this to Scott. He said, but he said, I've always been a Calvinist, always been limited atonement. He said, but listening to Scott for four years, he said, I have finally realized that I'm wrong about limited atonement and Jesus died for everybody. Guys, that's the point. Jesus died for everybody. That's the point. But I'm going to show you this. The, the fifth, uh, fourth one, irresistibility of grace. When God sovereignly purposes to save someone, 
that person will certainly be saved. That's called predestination. If God chooses you before the foundations of the earth, then during your lifetime, you will get saved. No matter what, you will. That's the irresistibility of grace. I, I just, I have the, this thing that always pops into my head called free will. Right? The last one, perseverance of the saints. Since God in his sovereign... Since God is sovereign and his will cannot be frustrated by humans. This is important, the way they word that. Okay? Since God is sovereign, he's over everything. And that was the basic thing with, with John Calvin is God's sovereignty above everything. It's, it, and I'm, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. So, since God is sovereign and his will cannot be frustrated or changed by humans or anything else... Those whom God has called into communion with himself will continue in faith till the end. And we call that once saved, always saved. Or unconditional eternal security. That if God chose you to be saved, the irresistibility of grace says you're going to get saved no matter what. And then the perseverance of the saints says you will always stay saved no matter what. But here's the key. Here's what's missing. This is the way I look at Calvinism. Is you've got this, this, um, someone make noise over here? Oh, you know what? I forgot to introduce to you guys a new couple in the church. I totally forgot. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Alexander, would you please stand? Aren't they so cute? You guys still like each other after a week? Okay, good. So here's the thing that's missing is I, I look at Calvinism as this boat that sits on top of the water. And you got these theologians in this boat and they're bopping on the top of the water. They've never actually put their toe in the water, but they know everything about the water. They've never touched a fish, but they know everything about fish. Why? They've deduced it. They've analyzed it. They've processed it. These are intelligent people. One of my professors at Denver Seminary had three doctorates. One in Greek, one in Hebrew, and one in Old Testament theology. I, I, many times I thought, that guy needs a girlfriend. <clears throat> it's probably given he doesn't have one. So... But, but here's, here's the thing with that. They know everything up here. Cognitively, you can explain everything. Calvinism can be explained so simply. Two plus two equals four, and it never changes. And it will always be the same. The problem is, is you've never dipped your toe in the water. But you know everything about the water. But here's the problem with Calvinism. And this is why it is so difficult for a Calvinist to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because they're no longer searching for truth. They're searching for the answers to the questions they are asking. But nobody else is asking those questions. When you come to real questions in life, they don't always have the answer because they've taken the most important thing out of the subject. And that's the individual. You. 
not humanity, but you, me. We've got all the answers because we don't have to look face-to-face with a person and answer the question a person has. We answer the question for the masses. God is sovereign. That's the answer to the question for the masses. Well, grace, grace is, is going to compel you, and, and you're never going to be able to resist it. You're going to get saved, and you're going to be saved no matter what. Except when you look in the mirror, you and me, when we look in the mirror, those answers don't make sense. Because I know me, and I know the, the frailties that I have, the problems I have, the mistakes that I make, all the stuff, and just to say, well, you're saved no matter what, that makes no sense. Because it makes no sense in any other relationship, including the most important relationship we have on this earth, which is marriage, which is the window that God says we get to see him through. Marriage is prophetic. And it starts in Genesis. And guess when it ends? When we step into eternity and marry Jesus. It's prophetic. Everything in Scripture is prophetic. Why? Because it has to do with the individual. Jesus didn't decide before the foundations of the earth who was going to be saved or not. Jesus wants everybody to be saved. Second Peter says that. He's not willing that anybody should perish. So he wants everybody to be saved. So the process of trying to get everybody to be saved is he comes and dies on the cross so that he provides his blood for everybody to be saved. See, the Calvinist says, no, God's sovereign. Let's just leave it at that. There's not the supernatural. There's not the miraculous. There's not the prophetic. There's not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See, all of those are personal. All of those are individualistic. But if you've never dipped your toe in the water, you have no idea what the water really is. You have no idea. And see, my understanding of Scripture is we need to not just dip our toe in the water. We need to get out into the water and be completely submerged in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But, but theologians don't like that. Very rarely do I meet the average person in church that doesn't understand spirituality better than a lot of pastors do. Pastors have wrapped it all up theologically, and they've tied a nice, neat little bow, and it can never be any different than that. And then you go to work Monday morning, and that nice little package tied up nice and tight doesn't work at work the next day. Because it's you. It's personal. It's spiritual, it's physical, it's relationships, it's life. Jacobus Arminius came along. He was born during Calvin's life. And he basically said, I disagree with every... He was, became a theologian, studied Calvinism, studied under Calvin, and then basically said, I disagree with all of this. Because why? The person. Not the theology, not the masses. But Jesus died for me me. And guess what? He gave me free will. Look at this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, then the Lord God planted a garden in in Eden in the east. There he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all the trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, 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 And the question always comes up, why did God do that? Because this is relational. This is relationship. This isn't theology that puts everything in a nice box and says everything is predestined. I had a friend of mine years ago who was a Lutheran. 
which is Calvinism, predestination. We were going in this um, um, little coffee shop one time, and he tripped and, and slammed his head into the door. I couldn't help it. I said, I'm glad you got that over with. You follow me? Somebody like, what? Predestination. He was predestined to do that. He didn't have a choice. Or he's clumsy, but we don't include the human in Calvinism. The Lord God placed the man of God in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. And then he said, but the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, all the fruits, including the fruit of a uh, tree of life, but you cannot eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. You know what this is? This is free will and relationship. You choose. God said to you, and he said to me, you choose. You choose all through life. You choose. And if you look at Calvinism, every single thing about it takes you and your choice off the table. God decided if you were going to be saved before you were born. See, see, here's the thing. If that was true, if God had decided all that, and there really is no such thing as free will, why did God say to Adam and Eve, you can eat all the trees, the fruit of all the trees. Don't eat the trees. Eat the fruit of all the trees, except this one. If there really was no free will, and they were destined by predestination to sin and to bring all of humanity into sin, then why did God say to them, you get to choose? That's just evil if you don't really get to choose. If you're going to fail no matter what, are you going to succeed no matter what? Why would he say you get to choose? Think about this. See, I, this is why I say that God kicked him out of the garden. God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden not because they sinned. Sin, the result of the sin is what he kicked them out for. It's because they were still eating of the tree of life. They were going to live forever, except they had sinned. And now they're, they're corrupting. Their body is diseasing. Cancer, all these things are added to the table now that didn't exist before. Now their bodies are decaying and corrupting, and their spirits are now in the realm of death. But they're still eating a fruit that keeps them alive forever. And God's not okay with zombies. So he kicks them out of the garden. You see, that doesn't make sense. It does make sense. They're diseased, but they're going to live forever. I think they had been living for quite a while, maybe a few thousand years. Um, I'm a young earther, so I think the earth's only 10,000 years old. But they had already been living for a while. And then they eat the fruit, and God says, I can't have you living forever now. I've talked about this before. I'm not going to go into this. Go, go start in, in Genesis and read through the Old Testament where uh, their life gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter as the fruit of life wears off. It's not the right way to theologically say it, but you understand what I'm saying. See, you and I get to choose. I get to choose whether I want a relationship with God. I get to choose now. I get to choose tomorrow. I get to, you say, well, you're already saved. Yep, and I still get to choose because I'm still free will. I'm still Adam and Eve in the garden. God says, don't do this. And I can still choose that fruit every day of my life. That's why Genesis around 5 or maybe 9, I think, it says that Satan is always crouching at the door. 
waiting to tempt you. Because why? He hasn't given up. He, in fact, he thinks he's winning. Especially right now in, in the, on the planet and in society. And in America, he thinks he's winning. But we know he doesn't. But because what overcomes Satan? The, 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 the blood of the lamb, the word of my testimony, and that I don't love my life even unto death. When I sell out completely to Jesus, Satan will lose. Because I choose. I'm serving Jesus, but I get to choose. I'm engaged to Jesus. Someday I'm going to marry him, but I get to choose. It's the same way Lynn and I got engaged a long time ago. And um, 32 years ago. And um, does that sound right? Okay, 32 years ago. And... Um, and, and then 